You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For the Now media production. Well, hello again and welcome back. After a, what, a two-week break, really, with an absence of Null and Void, uh, it's episode 81. But with one episode not there last week, we're back again. But suffice to say, we're back to let you know we can really shake them down. Do you love me? Really love me? Do you love me now that I can dance? Anybody not too sure, and I'm sure it came right back to you. Dave Clark 5, Contours also had a hit with that. Brilliant record. The truth is, we can't dance and we clearly can't sing but we can bring you a brilliant lady guest from from the world of gym management, our good friend, Sarah Kirkham. Also, after a short break, there is a mass of great sports stories to share with you, dear listener. My name's Tony Grundy. And mine's Andy Callahan. Now, Andy, so you've had a week away in Lanzarote. How did did all that go? Not that Uh, I'm jealous. Yeah, yeah, it was it, it was great. Thanks, great to switch off um, from work and everything else. Uh, um, I was getting messages from you that you were out running in your full winter thermals kit at the same time I was out running in shorts and a t-shirt. I uh, won't say on air what your short and swift response to me was, but suffice to say, it ended in off. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was a bit of a shock to the system. Then landing at Stansted on Friday night to temperatures of minus five, minus six. Stepped off the plane. Well, stepped onto the plane. It was 23 degrees. Stepped off the plane. It was minus six and colder than a polar bear's balls. So, uh, yeah, a bit of a shock to the system. Yeah, well, I, I am so sorry for you having to go through all of that. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, definitely freezing temperatures back here. Um now, me, well, I was watching World Cup and uh, more of that later. And cricket, whilst well wrapped up, as you say, in my running gear here. Minus eight in Oxfordshire. I think it was on Friday night. Uh, that is seriously cold. Although I have to say, we have known minus 18 here. So it wasn't that, but it wasn't warm. And it certainly wasn't 23 degrees. <laughs> so welcome back. Should we get into it? Let's get stuck in. There's uh, yeah. not, not been much happening in the world of sport while we've been on there, really. Not much. <laughs> now, obviously, well, not obviously, it's, it's, we're recording Tuesday evening. We're recording slightly earlier so that we can watch the Argentina-Croatia semi-final with tomorrow France against Morocco. So it's coming to a big conclusion. I mean... For all of our criticism of the actual location and all of that, let's not go back over that one. There have been some fascinating results. Our predictions of about a month ago, we, we I think each of us, Billy Carr included, you and myself, we, we said, OK, who's your winner and who would be an outsider? On that, if I recalled my scribbles at the time, Billy Carr said Brazil to win Uruguay as his outsiders. You said, you said Croatia to win, Wales 
outsiders. I said Argentina, Belgium outsiders. Now, if you look at that, Andy, and Billy's not here to defend himself, our football expert has got nobody in the semi-finals. Yeah, I'm struggling to see where the Croatia thing for me came from. I think they were one of my outsiders. I I'd swear that I was talking about an Argentina France final. Actually, for whatever reasons, I do recall you saying that. But Croatia definitely you had a thought could do quite well. So I may have misremembered it, and I don't really care. The fact is, <laughs> I've got Argentina. You got Croatia there in the semi-finals, and Billy Carr missed out on his two that he mentioned. Having said that, um, Billy did say Jude Bellingham in advance of the tournament would be a star of the tournament. All right, England are out, but he's totally correct about Bellingham's performance. So well done, yeah. Billy, on that one. Um, what else? I, I, I put under the highs, maybe it's a bit contrary, but Germany, Spain, Netherlands, Portugal, Belgium, all out pretty early. Uh, now, and also on the highs, I got Stephanie Frappart, uh, became the first female referee um, to referee a World Cup finals match with her two assistants in the Germany versus Japan match. Great to see that. And let's see more of that because apart from anything else, she had an excellent game. And my, my uh, steer on that is if you don't really, you're not aware of the referee, they're having a very good game. And she did really well and the team did well. Um, the lows, well, if you're English, I suppose Harry Kane's second penalty miss. I mean, he scored from the first one, but the second one he took, he missed. And miss doesn't really do justice to it because there is a saying in football, hit it into row Z. And he very definitely, definitely did. Having There's said a rumour that it hasn't actually landed yet. <laughs> no, you can imagine... Up in space imagine. with Chris Waddle's penalty from 1990. Well, you can imagine somebody walking at the back of the stadium with their cups of tea to bring them down on a tray and being hit by that <laughs> ball very forcibly. But in fairness to Harry Kane, and, and I think he's a very, obviously he's a great player. Um, and, and, and as I said, Miss doesn't do it justice. But if he had, as some people suggested, he should have given it to somebody else because he took the first penalty. Well, what if they'd missed it? They'd have been vilified forever, and so would he for not having the courage to take it. So good on him that he took it, but I think the thing there is, if you're going to change your mind, change your mind before you run up to take it. So he knew what he was going to do. And Hugo Lloris is his club mate at Tottenham. So you had that extra psychological thing of him saying he knows what he's going to do now. He could have put it in the same place. And if he hit it like he did first time, Lloris wouldn't have saved it anyway. But he could have put it in the other corner. But he didn't do that. And he missed it by such a lot. It was embarrassing. But anyway. It, it's difficult. I know Gary Lineker talked about it the night before because um, him and Shearer had been in that position for England previously where you've taken a penalty in the game and then it comes to uh, another penalty in Lineker's case against Cameroon or in Shearer's case, the penalty shootout, and you're almost second-guessing yourself as you're walking up, they were saying, because you're thinking, do I put it in the same spot, which is my preferred spot? Do I change? You know, is the goalkeeper going to sort of, is it a double bluff? You know, the goalkeeper's going to think I'm going to go that way because I, I went the other way last time. 
So very, very difficult. And uh, I mean, you know, uh, with no disrespect to Harry Kane, he's maybe not the sharpest uh, tool in the box or the uh, brightest bulb in the floodlights. And to have that many thoughts going through his head at once was probably an <laughs> overload. Poor old Harry. Anyway, uh, they lost. Enjoyed uh, Morocco's style of play. Um, brave, very well organised. I think you said, well, if England played like that, they'd be criticised for playing like that. But it, when you're Morocco and you're the size of that uh, country, the reality is with the level of players they've got, they need to be extremely well organised and keep people out. And my goodness, did they do that well. Uh, I thought their skipper was magnificent. The goalkeeper in the penalty shootout, magnificent. Goalkeepers have a problem as clearly which side they're going to go for, if they're going to go for a side. He somehow, and he, he was very tall, six foot hard, six foot five. He seemed to be able to sway and go either way very well. And he really did intimidate the penalty takers in that sense. So there were some great things that came from it. But what, what do you think of the result is going to be now? Are you still thinking Argentina, France? I mean, that's the that's the obvious answer, isn't it? Because uh, they're the two uh, more more dominant, bigger teams higher up in the world rankings. Um, Croatia and Morocco are both very hard to beat, though very hard to break down. Um, you know, as, as you said, you know Morocco get at times. I think in, against Portugal they had eleven men behind the ball, and it looked like they had about 15 or 16 on the pitch at one point because they were just yeah. stacking it behind the ball. Um, so I think it's going to be very hard to... I, I, I'm still going for Argentina-France. I'm going to stick with that. That was what I said before the tournament. Uh, I had a cheeky fiver on Argentina at the start of the tournament. So I'm going to stick with that. But I wouldn't be surprised if probably Croatia, if anyone was going to upset the apple cart. There's just so much on Argentina the pressure that's on them with Messi's last World Cup and everything around that. And and that when they stutter, they stutter big. You know, against the Netherlands, they were 2-0 up and cruising. Netherlands got one back. And Argentina, it just the legs went from them. It just looked like they had nothing left in the engine. And uh, no shock when the Netherlands brought that back to 2 all. Having said that, Argentina then looked the more likely to score in extra time. So I think if things go wrong, Argentina start to maybe wobble from the wobble from the track a little bit more than the French do. You know, when England pulled it back to one all, France didn't seem to panic in the same way that Argentina did against Netherlands. Um, so I'm going to stick with Argentina, um, France. But I think if anyone's going to upset that, it'll be Croatia. You know, they, they they've got a, an experienced side. They made the final four years ago. Uh, they they've been there. They know what to do. Um, you know, it's sort of like a bit like the dad's army uh, moniker that England England rugby team were given in 03. You know, you've got a lot of aged players there who it's their last World Cup, so they'll want to go out with a hurrah. But I just can't see further than Argentina France, which is probably now the death knell for both of those. Yeah, so we can look forward to <laughs> Morocco <laughs> playing against <laughs> Croatia this coming. Is it Sunday? Yeah. Sunday, yeah, Sunday yeah. So that'll be it. It'll all be over. A month of, a month of World Cup football over in the blink of an eye. I mean, for me, you know, where we finished up and the first couple of days after the last episode came out, we had that final weekend of group games, and that was brilliant. You know, the fact that you were sat there watching it, not knowing who was going through and who wasn't, and you know, 
goals were being scored and that was changing the balance of the table. And then good old FIFA have gone and ruined that for the next World Cup by changing the format. So you'll have potentially dead rubbers through the group um, after after the first games because they're changing it to 48 teams and uh, 16 groups of three. So they can't play simultaneously in the final game. It doesn't work with three teams. And you potentially have a dead rubber. If a team's won two of their first games, then the other teams playing in the final game both know they can't go through. Um, So, yeah, it'll be unless you have the top two going through, which then what's the point of having a group stage? You might as well have everyone through to the knockout stages. So, yet again, good old FIFA have taken something that could be really good, turned it on its head and stuffed it up again. Yeah, and as it happens, because it's going to be played in USA and Canada, um, time difference means we'll be sitting up in the middle of the night watching it, which will be well, good. Well, I'm going to say now, for those that do like a little flutter or for those that like a prediction, get your money on Brazil. There is a there is a pattern here, and I've bored everyone I know with this pattern, but Brazil won it twice in eight years in 62 and 70. And then didn't win it for 24 years until 94 in the USA. They then won it twice in eight years, 94 and 02. 24 years, they haven't won it. And the next World Cup, 2026, is in the USA. So it's exactly the same pattern as before. I'm already getting my money on Brazil for the next World Cup. There's a kiss of death if I've ever heard it. But anyway, uh, why don't we look at next uh, cricket? Because that was good, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> Pakistan uh, versus England, three match series, and we've already won the series, two wins. I mean, that first match, there are a couple of things I noted from that. 500 we scored on the first day, and the, apparently it's the fastest scoring two innings in test match history. Unbelievable. Great win, and that was on a totally flat pitch. And great captaincy from Stokes, we seem to be saying that on a regular basis, to tempt Pakistan to go for it. Great result first time. Then there's pressure on the second match, a more lower scoring game, but equally exciting. And I think Stokes is, he really looks an inspirational character in his big, strong character, isn't he, physically. But um, first series win in Pakistan for many, many years for England. So that's that's a brilliant performance. And even the bowling change right at the end when he played brought on Robinson because the batsman, the, the last batter, um, had the chance to hit two boundaries, but it meant he was at the other end. He didn't get a run at the end. And, and so therefore he brought on the fast bowler against their number 11 batsman and took him out with one ball. Another thing I noted is that uh, Harry Brook, uh, ton his hundred in the second innings that was that brought together the highest number of centuries by England ever in a calendar year. And you think what we were talking about a year ago when <laughs> nobody could get into three figures, so that shows something of the transition, doesn't it? And and transformation. So, well done to everybody involved in that. It cheered. Well, I was watching at half past seven in the morning till about half past eight, and it really was, you know, looking at the snow outside and watching that really did warm my heart. 
Uh, it, it, it was it was phenomenal, yeah. I mean, both tests. I mean, as you mentioned, the scoring rate in the first test, they were getting it 6.6 and over. Yeah. I mean, you'd be pleased with that in a in a one-day 50-over game. Um, second test, I thought the first innings, they were maybe a little bit below par in terms of the score for that wicket. But again, the bowlers came in, you know, and did their job superbly. I mean, some of the bowling, the swing bowling and reverse swing in particular, um, by England's bowlers, fantastic. But yeah, you know, two very close fought, hard fought games. The first one, Pakistan were probably within about 20, 30 minutes of saving the game because the light was fading. The second one, they got within 25 runs of winning the game. So, you know, basically, although we've had to wait, what, 15, 16 years for an England tour of Pakistan, uh, I think these two tests have shown it to be well worth the wait. And I hope that both teams go with the same approach in the third test. I know it's, you know, it, it doesn't have any impact on the series, but I'd love it for these two teams to go at it hammer and tongs again, because they've both obviously been playing some great cricket against each other. And, uh, you know, there's, there's also been a real respect between the two sides. You know, there's... I was just going to say that, Andy, that that's, that's uh, very definitely the case, that it's been played in a very good spirit. And there is that respect. I think the Pakistani skipper was saying how much he had admired uh, Anderson as a, a bowler and thought he was a fantastic uh, bowler. So, yeah, that's that's also a nice to record, isn't mm. it? Okay, I got ultra marathon running, which for the uninitiated is anything above 26.2 is classed as ultra marathon running. Um, just imagine this. You're a female runner and in February this year, you win in world record time, a hundred mile race. It takes place in Henderson, Nevada, beating all competitors, both male and female, Jackpot Ultra Running Festival was its name. And the time, winning time for the lady was 12 hours, 41 minutes, 11 seconds. That actually, if you want to do the maths, means that she ran on average every mile in 7 minutes 31 for 100, 100 miles. Now, here's the rub. Only to find... And she only found this out in November. But and this normally happens because when there's a world record, the authorities, in this case, US track and field, remeasured the course. Why they didn't do it before then, because the race was in February, don't know. Uh, and it was 218 metres short in distance. You did a calculation, didn't you, that said that's actually... 0.136% short. Horrendous. So the race in February, as I say, decision she's just received, world record, gone. The lady in question, Camille Heron, is not best pleased. And is <laughs> not appealing. learning the happy pig. <laughs> yeah, and it is appealing, not surprisingly. You know, and we we had a conversation about mismeasurement of courses uh, with Elish McColgan, didn't we? Was that half marathon that was wrong? Uh, that was 10,000 metres. Um, 10,000 yeah, 10, metres, you know. Uh, Callum, I can't remember his surname, the uh, Scottish marathon runner. His half marathon was also 
um, bumped a few years before because of exactly the same. Um, I think not so much jackpot ultramarathon as crackpot ultramarathon with... Uh, crazy, crazy stuff. It, is there not an allowable... I thought there was an allowable variance. Now, surely... Zero, 100 miles? One, three percent. You know, you're talking, yeah, 218 metres on 100 miles. So, you know, not even a full athletic... Half an athletics track out of 100 miles out. I thought there was an allowable variance. To well, we will, because we've mentioned it tonight, we will follow that up when there is more to follow up. But definitely you have one lady runner there, world champion runner on the face of it, uh, who actually uh, is not best pleased. So we'll see. Talking um, of ultramarathon disappointments, Tony, oh, yeah. I think we hadn't mentioned to our... Dear listeners who've uh, been amused and bemused by some of my uh, disappointments and entries that have been cancelled and all sorts over the last few years with COVID and then with not getting places in the London Marathon as per. Well, they'll be glad to know or sad to know, depending on uh, where they stand on that. But my uh, place in the Falklands Ultramarathon which was going to be a 100-mile run in the Falklands in April, following the route that the British troops took in yes. 1982. Um, that's been cancelled due to lack of numbers. So uh, they've had an extra three years. They've postponed it for three years to uh, um, because of COVID and because of logistics. And in that time, they've still not been able to get sufficient numbers signed up to be stupid enough to run 100 miles across the Falkland Islands. Um, so, yeah, that's not going ahead now. So uh, I will definitely be picking the brains of our guest, Sarah, later on because of the challenges she set herself. I'll be picking her brains as to what might be the sort of challenges I could undertake in 2023 because the Falklands Ultra is off. Well, of course, probably people have been uh, contacting the organisers and saying, is Andy Callahan running? Because if he is, I'm not entering. And that's kept <laughs> the numbers down. I imagine, I imagine, supporting my mate there. Now, WSL. Chelsea and Arsenal are leading the way there, followed by Manchester United and Manchester City. And those two, City and United, played at City's ground um, on, on Sunday. And I watched the game. Uh, it was a good game. United were the, definitely the better team, and I'm not just saying that with my red and white cap on. And they were, <laughs> but they led at half-time. But they had one of those moments where occasionally, even in the best organised teams, you go to sleep, and they did, and, and City equalised from nothing, really. And there was a 43, near enough, 43,000 crowd at City's Etihad Stadium. Another great advert for the women's game. It really was pleasing to watch great attacking football. So uh, we'll come to that later in terms of what perhaps the male game can learn that we talked about before in the World Cup. Uh, talking about World Cups, I'd made a note of the, I mentioned, it, I think in our last episode, the World Cup netball, which is taking place in Cape Town next July and August. And our ladies now have been drawn in their groups for that event. Our group includes Scotland, Barbados and Malawi. 
and in fact, I, I thought Malawi, I bet they're, you know, they don't play. In fact, they're the other seeds in England's group. There are always two seeds in the group. So that'll be interesting how it comes out. But at least now we know what the group is we're playing in. I got rugby next. Not much has been happening there, has it? Uh, where to begin? Um, you know, uh, exit Mr. Jones, exit Mr. Pivac, uh, enter Warren Gatland, the return of the uh, the great redeemer in Wales, and um, supposedly RFU in process of offering Steve Borthwick the top job in England. Um, we talked about it before I went away. I think England had got to the point where Eddie had run out of road. Um, I think he's still a great coach and he could have turned things around by the next World Cup. You know, it is a challenge changing your coach nine months out from the World Cup. I think Warren Gatlin comes in. His job is slightly easier overall with Wales, although I think they haven't got, they've got a very ageing player pool and they maybe not got the quality they had four years ago when they made the semi-finals in, in Japan. Um, but he knows the system, he knows the setup, he knows the the politics and the clubs um, and the regions. So I think Gats has got an easier job there to come in and he's got the track record. Um, Steve Borthwick, I think, is a great coach and I think it is a good appointment. Um, it seemed to be that people were falling over themselves to count themselves out of the running for the job um, in the week after Eddie was sacked. Obviously, Warren Gatland had been talked about in terms of the England job as well. He signed for Wales. Um, Ronan O'Gara, the former Ireland fly half and uh, coach at La Rochelle, has reconfirmed his commitment to La Rochelle. Stuart Lancaster, the previous England coach who left after the 2015 World Cup debacle but has been doing a great job in Leinster as the assistant coach, has just signed for Racing 92 in Paris for next year. So they all seem to be sort of ruling themselves out. So Steve Borthwick, hopefully, will say yes. Um, he obviously has the uh, experience as Eddie's number two, both with Japan and England for a few years when Eddie Jones started. And in the run-up to the... He, he was part of the team that took us to the 2019 World Cup final. If he's allowed by Leicester Tigers to bring in his support team, that would be a great ticket for England. We've got as he needs to be announced in the New Year honours, Sir Kevin Simfield, um, already calling him that because the man is just a legend for what he's done off the pitch. But actually, he's really transformed that Tigers setup. You know, Borthwick and Simfield together, when they joined the Tigers about 15 months ago, Leicester were really down near the bottom. They'd been perpetually near the bottom of the Premiership for a few years, you know, always just a couple of places off the relegation zones, never really in the mix for the playoffs. First season in charge together, they take them to the final and Leicester beat Saracens in the Premiership final to win the league. So I think if he can, he's allowed to bring his guys with him, um, then that would be fantastic. There's talk at the RFU of it being probably a bit of a halfway house because they're going to have to pay a significant sum to buy Borthwick out of his contract at Leicester. If they have to do that for all of the other coaches that he might want to bring with him, that could be difficult. Um, so there's talk that it might end up being that Borthwick and maybe one other, hopefully Sir Kevin, then come with him. Um, but then he, he might have to also uh, pick up some of the incumbents that were there at the end of Eddie's reign. 
that's always very difficult. It happened to Brian Ashton in 2006, 2007, when he took over from Andy Robinson. He got the head job, but then John Wells and Mike Ford were left in as forwards coach and defence coach from the previous regime. It just didn't work. They didn't seem to work together. John Wells and Mike Ford had maybe one idea of how to play the game. Brian Ashton is a great coach and a real visionary and a different approach. And you saw that in the confusion that somehow England bungled their way to the 2007 World Cup final under that setup, rather than it being a dominant display. But so hopefully Borthers can bring with him his team. But yeah, you know, that, that's that been a fairly significant coaching merry-go-round. So both England and Wales have decided to twist rather than stick. And we'll see if they can come up with a blackjack by the time of the next World Cup in France uh, starting in September next year. Yeah, fascinating time. Um, you had a brief note on Kenya and athletics, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. So we talked about it again previously that they were under investigation and potentially facing a ban from uh, international athletics competitions and the Olympics due to the number of athletes that were serving doping suspensions. And it's currently standing at about 55. Uh, they've received a rap on the knuckles and almost a last warning with um, senior figures like Lord Coe uh, saying they really need to rebuild the trust of the international athletics community in their systems and processes. And then just at the weekend, the Kenyan sports minister, whose name escapes me, has talked about uh, um, trying to fast track through some legislation that would make athletic doping illegal in Kenya and almost bring with it the same penalties as using and supplying uh, narcotic drugs. So be interesting to see they could be one of the first countries to bring in that type of legislation um, or one of the first major athletics countries to do so. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, A, what impact that has. and Well, A, if they can get it through, and B, if they do get it through, what impact it has. <coughs> Okay, um, contacts next. I guess because we didn't have an episode, we have no comments. We usually get people chipping in. I guess that was the case. And then I remembered when I sent out the last episode, I headed it saying an early Christmas present for you all. Um, and Hugh Davis Davis uh, came back uh, and said uh, to my comment about the early Christmas present, great, and a Merry Christmas to you too. Two, which is our first Christmas greeting. So thank you, Hugh, for that. That's nice. Uh, we'll see if we get any more. I don't know. Um, it might be a bit more abuse and uh, greetings, but we'll we'll go with that one. Thank you. Um, now, get a grip. One disappointment for me in the World Cup, and there were lots of highlights, and I, I'll be first to admit that, was that although most teams behave well, one game in particular broke records for the number of players yellow carded in one game. 18 yellow cards. And one of those people got two yellow cards. So there was a red card as well, just for good measurement. All of those were issued, and he must have been worn out at the end of it, by Spanish referee Matteo Lathos. In the match between Argentina and the Netherlands, that was, and the referee 
looked to me out of his depth and the game seemed out of control. So firstly, FIFA, get a grip in the terms of the officials you appoint. He was out of his depth. Not surprising. And it makes the game a laughing stock when you've got 18 players booked, for goodness sake. And uh, not surprisingly, he's that referee has been sent home back to Spain. That said, the two teams didn't help him either. Argentina, although my tip to win, another very nice bunch. They go well beyond competitive. I'm a great believer in being highly competitive. But they, Messi included in that, that criticism. Um, Netherlands didn't do themselves any proud either. They'd successfully been wound up by the Argentinians. They're very good at that, the Argentinians. Uh, but overall, I think it's a shame because apart from these two teams and perhaps chuck in their Uruguay, you always chuck them into that kind of mix, most teams have behaved well. And there have been some really exciting games, matches, without lots of cards having to be flourished. So FIFA, on the choice of referees, and Argentina, Netherlands and Uruguay, sort yourself out and just get a grip. And you are pathetic. You're numpties. The Women's World Cup makes you look very silly indeed. So get a grip. Nothing more to add to that, really. Uh, it's been, yeah, um, overall, I think the first few rounds of the World Cup, very little whinging and moaning. Now that it comes down to the business end, you've got a lot more teams criticising referees, which is obviously something that I've been known for on the paddock once or twice in my time. But uh, I think, you know, there's no place for it. And certainly um, after the fact, you know, it's not going to change anything sitting there going to the press saying how bad the referee was. You know, Harry Maguire has been one of those, um, the uh, Dutch players. But yeah, um, I, I'd agree with you. Get a grip. Uh, but that referee had a shocker. Um, so yeah, I, th I think he deserved to be sent home after that. Uh, as much as you hate to see someone leaving the World Cup in that way, uh, terrible, terrible game management. And uh, yeah, thankfully he's not in with a shout of getting the final because uh, could, could have made it interesting. But but in completely the wrong way. But you're right. I mean, the women's Euros was played with such great spirit. And uh, yeah, you know, sadly, the men haven't taken suit. So uh, not for the first time that men have not followed the great example of the women. But <laughs> there, there we go. Def definitely the case. I think good opportunity to bring in our uh, guest, Tony. So wait, waiting and ready to come on is friend of the show and regular guest, Sarah Kirkham to talk to us about how she's been getting on. Um, those regular listeners may remember earlier in the year, Sarah set herself a challenge of a medal a month. So we're uh, waiting with bated breath to see how that challenge has gone. And then also to talk to Sarah about maybe what people can be doing now in the run up to Christmas to be keeping active when maybe uh, the temptation is more Christmas party season sausage rolls and eating their own body weight in selection boxes. So now you're, you're talking about yourself. Bring now. in Sarah. <laughs> Hi, Hi Sarah. How are you? <laughs> yeah, well, welcome back to Null and Void. You're Thanks always welcome, as you know that. Now, bearing in mind the weather we've currently got, which is exceptionally cold, frosty, snowy, all of that. Does that 
naturally make it more difficult for people to be motivated about fitness? Does it naturally happen? Yeah, I mean, we have to say, I think it naturally is harder to get yourself motivated when, um, you know, the mornings are dark and cold and suddenly the evenings are very short as well. I mean, I follow you religiously, um, Tony, and I think it's amazing when I see you posting that you've got out in the cold, you've got wrapped up warm, you're out in the garage and, and, you know, just getting on with it. And I think you feel so good when you've done it, but there's no doubt that the temptation to get home and um, put your PJs on and put a Christmas movie on. <laughs> you yeah. have to be uh, a little bit more dedicated this time of the year, but, um, you know, just have to keep keep in mind the feel-good factor afterwards and how good you feel afterwards, I think, is really important. All right, we'll talk about that in more detail in a bit, but going back to Andy's point earlier on, your sort of medal a month challenge that you set yourself when we were last talking was in, in full flood. How's how's that ended up now? We're into December. Um, pretty. <laughs> excuse me, coughing. I'm just getting over from another round of COVID, which is oh, uh, wasn't in the the grand master plan. So that did kind of affect my training over the last couple of weeks or so, and certainly some of the things that I had planned for December. Um, and uh, yeah, everything's kind of gone really well. My, my training has tapered down a little bit during kind of October, November and December, which was the plan anyway. Um, and really to focus on some kind of smaller events rather than the bigger events that I'd kind of done um, when the weather was a little bit kinder to us. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm chuffed to say I've, I've done well. I've also given myself... Um, my own medal, one of the months, which was a just navigating life medal, because there'd been a few kind of like personal challenges and life and stuff, which uh, has also got in the way of training slightly. Um, being a parent and just making sure the kids were heading in the right direction as they made big life choices. Um, but yeah, all good. But the training naturally was on a taper down this time of the year, ready for ready for it all to get going again in January. So yeah, all good, all good. Mm. So looking back over over the different, I mean, you've done so many different events, Sarah, you know, from uh, ultramarathon runs and, uh, you know, triathlons and all sorts. Any that stood out as real personal highlights or favourites? I know it's a little bit like asking you which is your favourite child. And uh, I know <laughs> I'm a brother listen and that my mum will say that I'm her favourite child. But uh, which for you were the personal highlights in terms of some of the challenges you've done this year? You know, that's a really interesting question. And when I reflect over the journey that has been this year, it's been a massive, I would say, I've learned a lot about myself and it's been huge in terms of personal growth, not only from a fitness point of view, but from a mental point of view as well. And when I look back at every single challenge that I've done over the last uh, last year I can't pick one as a firm favorite um I, I actually I can pick one as a firm favorite and I will do and I will tell you which one that is but I think that it's been such a massive learning curve that I've learned something in every single one of the events that that I've done I've taken something away and that has really kind of formed the basis of my training plan for next year I think my favorite event most definitely would have been the round red in ultramarathon because mm -hmm. 
you know, when last year when I came on and started talking to you guys and I was running 5K on my treadmill at home in my living room and I'd never run. And, you know, I kind of thought I was going to really struggle with running. To say that I've done an ultra marathon is incredible to say that I've I've done that and I actually enjoyed it <laughs> and I'm going to do another one. <laughs> so, oh, fantastic. Yeah. So, so that, that was the one that sticks in your mind. As you say, that the nice thing is you can look at all of them and say, I learned a hell of a lot each time. It's not Mass- only about the event, but learning about yourself and how you Mass- cope with it. Yeah, Massive, massive. I think, you know, there's a lot of you think you're fit. And I think you naturally, because you're in a fitness environment and teach classes and personal trainer, and you kind of know the science behind what you should be doing and when you should be doing it and how you should be fueling and your nutrition and you know until you actually try it out and you do it you're not quite sure how it's going to work out for you and um blimey you think you're fit but then you surround yourself with these athletes and you're in the company of people who are you know competing at you know a a really quite high level and then you realize that you're maybe not quite as fit (laughs) as you thought you were um and you know certainly areas to work on but yeah it's um it's been a big big learning curve so you mentioned there there are things that you're taking into your plans for next year sarah so it sounds there like there might be um half an eye towards some big goals or big challenges for 2023 is there anything that you can share with us at the moment in terms of some of your uh, sporting targets or some of the events that you're looking at? Absolutely confidently I can say I am going to treat next year like a complete blank canvas but I'm going to repeat every single event that I've done this year next year um, and I just really want to see how I approach it differently, whether my result is different, whether my performance is different, just going in now, knowing a little bit more about what I've let myself in for, because really this time last year, I was so naive um, in terms of how much, I mean, I did a lot of training, but I think I was kind of naive as to how extreme the events were. um, And I didn't really know what was about to hit me in a few of them. So I think now going armed with that knowledge, um, and that tiny bit of experience that I've got from last year, I really want to do every single event again and just see if I can do it differently. Uh, better, of course. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm not a big one for times. It's not about making my times better, but it's really about my overall performance and see if I can, you know, up my game a little bit. So, um, mm-hmm. yes, and I'm going to do a full course Ironman next year as well, rather than a half. Wow. So going go, going all out. Yeah. And um, I'd really like to take one abroad as well. So I'm looking at uh, something maybe in Mallorca next year as well to uh, to kind of do something where it's uh, where the climate's a bit friendlier as well. Mm, yeah, certainly. I mean, I, I, I caught the, funnily enough, my first day, I've just come back from Lanzarote and my first day, uh, I caught the tail end just watching, not participating of the... Uh, Lanzarote Marathon and uh, that looked like a really nice course it had steered clear of all the hills and mountains there and was very much a a, a seafront course so uh, I, I was sat there looking at it going oh December mm. yeah that could be a uh a tempting one to get away for a bit of winter sun again yeah I must admit I do fancy something where it's a bit warmer <laughs> be nice <laughs> 
Sarah, pra practical point here. You've got a member at the club, you know, unnamed, but somebody comes to you and they say, really, between now and Christmas and the new year, I've got so many social events. I've got the office party this Thursday. I've got this. I've got the family. I'm just going to leave it off for the next two and a half weeks. <laughs> and yet you know they're capable of doing more. How, how do you deal with that kind of situation? Do you just accept it and say, well, that's your choice? Or how, how would you tackle that? I would generally try and offer advice that says keep moving and try and stick to a little bit of routine um, if you can. It might not be, you know, the, the five days a week that you can normally do, the hour that you can normally do. But if you can say, OK, I do have social events, but I can give myself half an hour three times per week then maybe just take a little bit of pressure off yourself and because we do want to relax a little bit. We do want to enjoy family time and especially because of the, the Christmases that we've had over the last few years, which have been a little bit different. I think this is probably one of the first years that we're, we're experiencing what is somewhere near normal. So there is that tendency to say we really want to kind of celebrate and go big this year. Um, but I think just sticking to a little bit of routine, maybe it's going to be a different time of the day, but just scheduling in that time. And even if it's shorter, but even if it's just half an hour, it's going to make a big difference to kind of keeping you on track and making it a little bit easier to get back into your, your fitness and your health regime come the new year, because there's nothing worse than having quite a long break, kind of spending time eating and as you say, drinking and eating your own body weight in chocolate and then it's even harder to get back into your new routine your your old routine so trying to keep a little bit in even if it's shorter periods of time um, maybe have a look at some online classes if you can't get to the gym um, you know something that you can do at home maybe if you've got a partner at home with you because they're off on holidays from work or you've got family around maybe buddy up with somebody and kind of commit to doing it together um, which is always quite nice. It keeps you motivated if you've got somebody to do it with as well. Okay, well, sort of related to that, bearing in mind we've got the new year and you get the new year, <laughs> new you and all the rest of it. How do you feel about resolutions? Would you rather people, because there is this thing of third week of January is one of the biggest fall-offs in membership in gyms. People disappear having set off at 100 miles an hour. What's your sort of thinking and advice in that situation? Resolutions. Resolutions. I have mixed feelings. I think I do think it's really great to set yourself a goal and a challenge. And that's exactly what I did last year. And I think when you do have something fixed and you have something that you're working towards, it's really, really, um, it's really, really helpful. And it's really, really motivating. Depending on <clears throat> your personality, I guess. Sometimes that can put a little bit too much pressure on yourself. And then if you don't stick to it, you start to fall by the wayside. You can feel like you failed slightly. And that's when people go, mm. actually, that's it. I'm done. I, I don't want to I don't want to do this anymore. So I think having a resolution is brilliant. We always like to start the new year with something new in mind. But make sure those goals that you're setting yourself are realistic. Make sure that you're kind to yourself. So if you do fall by the wayside, it doesn't mean that you failed. You can kind of get back on track. Um, so I think the goal is really important, but not to give ourselves too much of a hard time if we do kind of fall by the wayside slightly and, and don't feel like you've failed. 
So, oh, yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, you know, yeah. That, that sort of having a, a target and a goal is something a bit more specific than, you know, a resolution sometimes can be a little bit nebulous or airy-fairy or, you know, not not really sort of targeted. But, yeah, you know, a goal that people can say, right, that's – I'm putting a pin in the map there. Yeah. That's what I'm aiming for. Um, and as you say, that won't always happen in a straight line. There'll be boulders along the runway at times. but. Yeah. Yeah, if people can get around those and stick with it. And and find something that you really enjoy doing as well. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's really difficult if you decide you're going to start going to the gym or you're going to start running or swimming and then you find that you really don't enjoy it. There are things that we naturally gravitate towards that we will naturally enjoy. Some people only enjoy working out for 30 minutes. Some people have time and enjoy a couple of hours. It's about finding what's right for you, the correct fit for your lifestyle, what you really enjoy doing. Um, and that's going to help keep you engaged. And don't forget, you know, whichever, if you're a member of a gym, you've got a gym team and it's their job to help you. It's their job to, you know, work out an induction for you if you're new, to set a new program if you would like to try something different. And it's kind of part of their job to keep you engaged and, um, you know, kind of keep you coming back as well. So just tap into those professionals that you've got access to, um, you know, try new classes, try something different. You might make new friends. And if you, you know, find a group of people that you can do something with, that also makes it a little bit easier as well. So just use all those kind of those those tools that are kind of available to you, even if you haven't done it before. I'm making a note here to sign Tony up for Zumba classes. <laughs> I think Tony would be great at Zumba. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, both of you. Now, let me <laughs> let me put a sort of unanswerable question to you, Sarah, which is because I've just happened to have seen a few articles <laughs> recently and they were, in fairness, I think overall promoting rowing as a top uh, way, rowing machines as a top way of exercising compared to running machines, compared to weight sessions and so on. As I said, it's unanswerable in a way, but do you either have a favourite or if somebody, you know, somebody came to you and said, I've read these articles, rowing machines are it. Do you, do you agree with that or, or is there a balance to these things? I think there's got to be a balance, to be honest, Tony. I think there's, um, I mean, obviously it's down to the individual that comes in when you, when they come into the gym, you know, we've, we've got to find out about their history. If there's anything that we need to pay particular attention to. I mean, obviously if we've got somebody coming in with, with knee issues, we're not going to ask them to be running miles on a treadmill because it's not going to be great for, for joints and for, for knees or somebody in rehab. So we really need to read the person that comes in. But I would say everything needs to be a balance. We need to do CV work for our cardiovascular fitness and health. It's very, very important. But, you know, strength and conditioning is also very important. It's great for our balance. It's great for our strength. It's great for osteoporosis. It's great for, you know, tone in the body if you're looking for, you know, the kind of physicality. So I think there has to be a little bit of everything. And not forgetting, obviously, the holistic side as well with your, you know, with your yoga, your stretching um, and that kind of side. It, it all needs to kind of work in harmony together. But naturally, you may gravitate towards something that you you enjoy. So I would say, you know, if you enjoy doing the rowing machine, um, do the rowing machine. If that's what gets you into the gym, then 100% go for it. But try and keep a little bit of balance. Okay. So 
clearly you've got uh, things looking into the new year, you know, that you can pass on to the members and help them with. Is it still the case, do you find in gyms, your gym or any other gym, that females particularly are intimidated by muscular men, you know, pushing big weights and so on? Is that still an issue for you? Do you find you've sometimes got to take people to one side and just say, you know, it's not what you think. You don't have to be doing that. Does that happen still? It still does. It really does. And um, we still see... Uh, you know, in terms of our class usage for group exercise, we still see in terms of our demographic, it's predominantly females in classes. I mean, we do see men, but um, it's mainly, <coughs> excuse me, it's mainly female based. Um, and yeah, there is that that kind of intimidation of, of the, the ladies who will steer away from lifting weights in the gym if they see lots of lots of guys there. Um, and we still get the question asked, I don't want to get big, I don't want to get bulky, so I'm afraid to lift weights. Um, so it's just really kind of like educating, I think, and helping our members build confidence um, so that they do feel confident in knowing how to use the equipment. Because I think that's also a fear of looking a bit silly and not kind of knowing, you know, what you should be doing. And I think if you've got that confidence and it, it then allows you to move into those areas where you may previously have felt intimidated. But um, yeah, we definitely still do see that in the gyms. And again, it's part of our job. It's part of our job to educate and assist and build that confidence to make sure that, you know, we see, you know, on the flip side, we like to invite men into classes um, as yeah. well as ladies into lifting weights in the gym. Mm, so helping people again, come back to that. You mentioned about balance, Sarah, helping people get that balance of actually all the different facets and aspects that the gym offers is open to them all, not just classes for females and weights for men or vice versa. It's about, <laughs> yeah, actually, there's a there's a balanced approach here and yeah, trying something they'll enjoy. Absolutely. 100 percent. And Sarah, you clearly uh, everybody gets a break or. Hopefully everybody gets a break over the Christmas period. You're just getting over COVID again. So you're going to need a little bit of time. Have you got something planned away from everything where you complete rest? How, how are you going to do that? <laughs> I'd love to say complete rest, but I think with four children, a cat and a dog, I don't really <laughs> uh, don't really put rest in my schedule. Um, but no, it's going to be, um, you know, my, my older children are older now, so it's it's lovely to spend time with them. And then my youngest, who's four, is, uh, you know, he's really experiencing what is now the magic of Christmas. So that brings another dimension into the family, which is really lovely. Um, and then my folks will be spending Christmas Day with us. So we're all going to take a, a little bit of downtime, a few days off, which will be really nice. Brilliant. Excellent. Say four years of age, that's where Christmas is really... At, at its magical point. Have you, have you found yourself doing the, if you don't behave, Father Christmas won't visit? <laughs> yes. I've, I've been doing all of that, but it's it's not really working at the moment. But <laughs> <laughs> he's generally a pretty well-behaved little person. Um, he's, he, a good, he's a good lad. He, good lad. he doesn't quite understand the concept of an advent calendar. I did buy him one, but um, apparently there's only two days till Christmas because he's an <laughs> <laughs> someone, yeah. someone who's got 40 plus years ahead of him 
may have done that over the last couple of days, Sarah. <laughs> any names, but uh, my mum still buys me an advent calendar and uh, I may have got a couple of days ahead of myself. Got to be done. It's got to be done. <laughs> Listen, Sarah, you're very kind with your time tonight. I know you've only just finished your shift at work. Lovely to see you again. And thank you for that input tonight. As ever, I'm sure inspirational to a lot of people. We always oh. get lovely feedback uh, when you've been on. Thank you for joining us again. Cheers, no. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. It's lovely to um, it's lovely to to chat with you guys, and I hope that I can share next year's adventures with you as well, and give you lots of feedback on how that goes. So I hope you guys both have a really lovely Christmas, and uh, I'm sure I'll see you at the club, Tony, for a cuppa before Christmas. Indeed. Okay, my love. Thank you very much Brilliant. indeed. See you later. Thanks, Sarah. Take care and have a great Christmas. Bye. Bye. Yeah, well, lovely again to have Sarah back on. I don't know how many times that Sarah's been on, but she's brilliant the way she inputs each time. And I think a special uh, element there with the Christmas and the new new year, I think is very valuable, very valuable. So uh, good episode again tonight. Enjoyed it all. And looking forward to next week, one of the things that you and I have said, we must get Billy back in because World Cup final will have happened. Billy Carr, is he up for that? He's up for that, yeah. He's uh, ready. I think he's donning his suit of armour, ready to get rinsed about his predictions. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I did say we'd write him down, but yeah. I mean, in fairness, his point about Bellingham was extremely well made beforehand. So Yeah, uh, and he, he, he also called out that Japan could end up beating a few of the big boys, and they, they certainly did that with their wins over uh, Spain and Germany that put both of those wins ended up going to put the Germans out. So, yeah, he's been, he's definitely been more right than wrong as ever. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll see. We watch with bated breath to see whether it will be Argentina, France or Croatia, Morocco or some other variant of those four in the final this Sunday. A lot to look forward to there. And obviously, as we close this recording tonight, the first of those semifinals is about to kick off. So, We'll no doubt be tuning in to that. But look forward to being with you uh, at a time and a place that suits you next week. We always do say the contact details at the end of this podcast if you want to get in touch with us. We love hearing from you, good and bad. You know, we can take it on the chin if you're not happy with what we've said. But we enjoy what we're doing and we've enjoyed another episode tonight with you. Look forward to being with you next week. See you later. Take care, folks. Thanks a lot. Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on nandv at forthenow.co.uk.